0: Hey, blinders! on this week's show Dungeons and Dragons hits theater. so we're going to give you a review and Zach Braff has a new film called a good person so he stops by the show for a conversation say
1: goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the Durban marshall credit card bill
0: hello blenders and welcome welcome to episode number 255 of real blend a podcast that still has a perfect black bracket go florida atlantic baby i got them going all the way i can't wait to see how much money i'm gonna win from this week's (laughs) final four uh on this week kevin that's sport that's a sports joke i just want to let you know
1: yeah kevin has kevin's sports knowledge i'd like to say has increased dramatically i feel like I, i i like i feel like you've gotten so much more into football over the
2: last 12 months i have i just don't know what florida atlantic is what's that mean
0: it's a team. It's a team in the Final they're, Four. They're uh, called.
2: They're called it Florida Atlantic.
0: Yes, they are. They're hmm. uh, one of the teams. One of the the schools that are still left in the uh, in the, yeah, in it's the competition. A school.
3: It's a school, which is a little uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Strange name. <laughs> I'd love an NFL name.
2: team named Florida Atlantic. <laughs> Kev, knowing yes. how
0: much you love championship games, you have to watch the Final Four games and the championship.
2: Dude, the year I graduated from George Mason was the year we went to the Final Four. It was 2006, and my school at prior to that, I felt like people looked at it more of like a commuter school. And when we got on the map with that story, that we were the Cinderella story, yeah, where, yeah, uh, yeah. That was Jim Larinaga, yeah, Jim Laranega was our coach. And I will never forget what that felt like to be at that school at that time. I went to Indianapolis. We got beat by Florida. I think it was uh, the gentleman with the long hey, hair. The Atlantic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but we'll, 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 I don't remember his name. There was a guy on that team. Who be, I think he went on to the NBA. Um, it was we lost in that first that first that first round, that first game okay. in the final four. Was
3: Michael Jordan. Is yeah, saying. Michael <laughs> Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This, is, this is the story of air. This is what air He has about, a shoe about. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. But All but right. that did I forever changed our school. It was so cool, man. Like just people walking around with our Final Four shirts on. I still have some of them. The team was signing them. It was just cool. I'd like, see the players walking through and getting autographs and photos, and, and it was a big deal. So I, I know what it means for a school to go through something like that, especially if you're mm. a school that's not really on the map in terms of like Mason was on the map, but they weren't like super super well known outside of being a commuter school in Fairfax. But um, but now they are so.
0: By the way, we were brought to you by Barstool Sports this week. <laughs> we're changing up format. No, no, no. On this week's show, Dungeons and Dragons is going to be hitting theaters uh, and is a surprise favorite uh, of the year, as you guys will hear when we review it later on. And then Zach Braff has a movie come uh, coming to theaters called A Good Person. Uh, it expands wide and the filmmaker is going to join us to discuss. Uh, I'm telling you guys right now, it is a fantastic fantastic conversation with braff we will throw it to uh to that in a heartbeat before that let me get to uh proud george mason graduate uh kevin mccarthy of fox 5 in washington dc hello kev how are you hello Jonathan, gabriel jacob how are you guys uh and jake hamilton of fox 32 in chicago uh hi jakey how are you
1: university of houston graduate and uh so you can understand why my bracket is not looking as good you
0: guys went far though i give them credit not not far enough for number one seed no, no number one seed did well this year. I know, It Remarkable. Well, the Catholic University of America is Division Three, uh, and we don't compete in much of anything. That's my my alma mater, by the way. And so, are you on? Uh, are you on their like Wall of Fame? I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think we have. Uh, Ed McMahon is our most famous. Uh, okay, but then, but you seem like the next logical oh, step. And Susan Sarandon. No, Susan Sarandon also oh, yeah. graduated well, from our, from Dartmouth. we have Randy pro- Quaid. Program. I think I win that one. We, we all
2: have Randy <laughs> Quaid. <so.
0: laughs>
2: are you talking about people who are famous from your school? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that they one have of Kevin the, McCarthy. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure one of the authors who wrote american prometheus which is based which is what nolan oh, based oppenheimer on about oppenheimer um, no but i'm i'm pretty sure it was either <laughs> kai Ky- bird or martin sherwin i think i have their names right but one of them was a, is a george mason professor or has some connection to george mason so i'm gonna go ahead and just claim that because <laughs> it's an oppenheimer we're connection we're
0: gonna start a drinking game for anytime anyone mentions oppenheimer on this show uh, you know, now uh, now, uh, through uh, july um, friend of the
1: show and a friend of mine uh, has a personal yes exactly has a personal drinking game and he takes a shot every time we mention that we used to be an awards podcast
0: oh that's a good one he drinks a lot for anybody who doesn't know, we've started as Awards Blend. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys remember when we
2: did that? We were an awards show for eight weeks. You guys remember that? I remember that. Yes. It was called Awards yeah. Blend. <laughs> yeah. I really like the name Awards Blend. And he's drunk.
0: If you're watching us on YouTube, hello. Thank you for joining us. Please don't drink this early in the morning on Friday, notification crew. We don't want to uh, have you start your day off on the wrong foot. Uh, please head down. Maybe they're on like. the other side of the globe yeah that's a good point and there is also a west coast contingent that weighs in every once in a while also i've
1: got a i've got a 9 a.m uh flight on friday so don't don't tell me what to do genuine
0: question
2: when someone says it's five o'clock somewhere is it actually always five o'clock somewhere no it's only if
1: it's only it's only if you're the place that you're at is at the like
2: zero zero mark of the hour I mean, I'm talking about in in the in the world, if someone says about? that. Is it five <laughs> o'clock
1: somewhere? I know it's what you're saying, yes. Yeah.
0: Like if it's ten a.m. for us, it has to be five PM somewhere. But if it's, in the world. If it's <laughs> but if
1: it's ten thirty a.m. for us, it's not five o'clock anywhere. But, right. but it's after five o'clock. I think the listen, idea is that Listen. It's after you 5 don't 5 get to speak on his lyrics, okay?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who, who, who whose lyrics are those? Is that Jimmy Buffett? Jimmy Buffett. Oh, it I thought it like was just Buffet. a saying. I didn't know it was a Well, I believe, I believe originally it was
1: a Shakespeare quote.
0: <laughs> you guys want to start the show? Jesus. <laughs> sure. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, give us a like and a subscribe. I don't know why you would, but please give us a like and a subscribe. YouTube.com backslash Rail Blend Podcast. Um, so we have a giveaway this week, and I want to uh, plug that. Cinema Blend is giving away codes for digital copies of James Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water. Oh, one. Yeah. uh Check the description for links on how you can enter. You must be 13 years uh, of age or older and in the US. I'm sorry about that, but you have to be in the US. Um, we want to thank our friends at Movies Anywhere for providing us the codes to Avatar The Way of Water. Again, check the links in the description for how to enter uh, on Facebook and Twitter. So, as mentioned, Zach Braff uh, directed Garden State. Helmed a couple other films in between there that that in my opinion didn't quite reach the level of Garden State, but it's coming back with a really strong film called A Good Person, uh, that is a good person, a good person. What I say the, a good person. Good. Yep. Uh, stars Florence Pugh. He wrote it specifically for Florence Pugh while while the two of them were in COVID lockdown. Essentially, he uh, talks about it in the interview how he needed a distraction and started to write about things that he knew about his hometown and the people who grew up there and, and some of the things that he was dealing with emotionally. Tremendous performance by Florence, tremendous performance by Morgan Freeman as well, too, and just some excellent direction and screenwriting by Zach. So uh, we're going to put this one on your guys' radar, starting with this real blunt interview uh, between the guys and Zach Braff. <laughs>
2: Yeah, can you hear uh, can you hear we've been having a lot of discussions about dating so hopefully you guys weren't listening oh, or we like care. oh we heard it all. <laughs> <laughs> I was I mean-
4: like where they're setting up the light, and I'm like, "Are these guys in a joint I therapy?" Mean, we're session? like best. We're best friends. That's what our podcast yeah. is. Uh, yeah, I get it. I do one with my best friend. Yeah. I love
2: it. Well, um, I'll go ahead and start us off. I guess we're rolling. Good to go. Well, first of all, I'll just introduce us uh, to, to who our show is. We're called Real Blend. We're a filmmaker podcast. We're a filmmaker focused podcast, and the whole idea of our show is trying to get our listeners engaged in the filmmaking process. So we're going to get super technical with you as well. Um, we're best friends who met on the junkets. Uh, Jake and Sean and myself. We walked out of a gravity screening one night and we were so blown away that we got together and started talking about movies and now our show exists and now Zach Braff, you're joining That's us. That's so cool.
4: So. I love it. I'm going to start listening to your podcast. It sounds right up my Dude, alley.
2: Hell yes. Uh, uh, we're going to dive in because I have a lot of questions about your lens choices and all those things. I, uh, I'm going to get into that in a bit. But first of all, I want to go back to early on. Garden State was a film that I saw in theaters. I'll never forget seeing it. Um, The soundtrack, as Jake and I were talking earlier, is is iconic. And and it's just a great film. But that was a really early film. I think it was your first feature as a a director. And as we sit here now, all these years later, your storytelling is incredible. And I'm wondering when you look back at that particular project and that film, was there a lesson or two that you learned on it that you still apply now on a good person? Is, is there things that you look back on and go, Oh, I learned that I learned this. And then now you're directing your actors and thinking about those scenes and those moments.
4: You know, I think, I I don't know if it was Tarantino who said it or, or, or some great filmmaker said like, make the movie that you want to see. And, Mm. and I, and I think that that's how I always, I think that's, Something that happened with Garden State. I, I certainly didn't think anyone was going to see Garden State. I thought you know I would go to Sundance and my parents would see it and maybe a handful of people. I didn't think that it would become what it became. I was twenty five years old when I wrote it, um, but I was most definitely writing the movie that I wanted to see. I wanted I I I wrote something that um, was was about the experiences I was having as a young man, uh, um, the, the, the 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 isolation, the depression I was feeling, the lostness the uh the the prayer that some amazing woman would come along and, and save me from myself mm. um, all of that was um was what I was feeling and so similarly now this many years later, I definitely felt like I wanted to write something if I was going to write something that was authentically me it, I wanted to write about what I was experiencing and I had experienced a lot of grief in the last four years and I, I wanted to write about that I wanted to write about i wanted to set it in my hometown again because i there was a certain comfort. It's it's almost like a security blanket, if you will, of, of going, I know that I can get I can be authentic about my hometown. I know that I won't mess that up. I know what the dive bar looks like. I know what I know what a rundown house looks like. I know what that is. The duck pond I used to go to at a, as a child. That's literally my high school principal's <laughs> office where Morgan goes. Um, oh, that's so cool. I knew that like I I I. I, I I wanted to make something so real and authentic and and true. So there's almost a security blanket aspect of like setting it in my hometown, and so that's what I guess I I I, I, I started off with and have come back to is hmm. writing about exactly what I'm feeling and hoping that other people can relate and and setting it in my hometown just so I I feel like I'm I'm gonna nail the authenticity of these people. Hmm. Wow.
0: Uh, Zach, Zach, your writing on this is yeah. incredible. Uh, Thank you. Man. It's really, really um, emotional and honest, and and doesn't pull any punches. Really, I was, but as we're getting through it, I realized what a different movie you made because you jumped forward a year uh, as to where these characters. Absolutely,
4: were. that's well said. Yeah.
0: And if you had done it like immediately after the accident, we'd be watching a completely different. Movie. I didn't want to so make it-
4: that movie. That's a very good point. And, and no one's brought that up so far, but the truth is I didn't want to make that film. I didn't. I- I win. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. So you know, you're doing, you're doing a junk in it and someone asks a question you've never been asked. You're like, yeah, nice one. Um, we love that. No, but I, um, the truth is I didn't want to make that story. I wasn't, I wasn't really interested in exploring um, the trauma of physical rehab or, or, um, or, or, or the morning after. Mm. So I, I treat it just as a screenwriter. I treat that whole section as, as a bit of a prologue mm. because what I'm really interested into is what is life like a year later?
0: Yeah.
4: You know, once, you know, cause Alison is, is majorly in, in, uh, injured in the accident as well. That initial story would have all been about her physical rehabilitation. I didn't really want to tell that story. I wanted to talk about her emotional rehabilitation we fill
0: that in
2: anyways. Like, as an audience, we fill all that time in as we watch the movie. Yeah. Exactly.
4: And, and similarly, with the accident itself, you know, it, 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 we couldn't afford to shoot what what would have been better. The way I phrase it is uh, the audience's imagination has no budget limit. <laughs>
0: yeah. True. Yeah, true.
4: So, if by, by not shooting, and I had planned to shoot it, we saved it till the end if we ended up with, with enough money. But between, you know, all the COVID protocols and, And um, uh, uh, I ended up having to, I lost a lot of money to to, to testing and the COVID protocols. So I had to shoot the movie in 26 days and I ended up not having enough money to shoot the accident itself, which ultimately I think even if I'd shot it, I probably wouldn't have used it because the second I saw not showing it, I was like, whatever the audience's infinite budget in their minds is going to put in is going to be way better than anything I could shoot at this price point. You know what I mean? Right. It's the same yeah, reason why true.
2: Seven's so effective, by the way, because Fincher doesn't show the, the violence. He shows the aftermath and we fill in the violence, which makes it so much. You had fun. me at seven. That's one of my favorite movies
4: of all time. Dude, yeah. We're, yeah, we're big Fincher we fans. Can, yeah. listen, I need to promote my film, but I should come back on and we should just do an episode about seven. Please, dude, <laughs> Please. We, we
2: we will literally we, we should watch seven together and just talk about it on, and record it. That <laughs> Did you insane. ever talk with
1: Morgan Freeman about seven? <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't talk to Morgan about seven, but you know, who I talked
4: about seven with is, is Johnny C. McGinley, who's, you know, one of my good buddies <laughs> yeah, from scrubs. And he plays yeah. the SWAT guy. SWAT guy. And he improvised. <laughs> Here's a little tip for you he improvised that line at the end when when after you know the reveal i, mean, I don't know why i'm holding back if you haven't seen seven yet but but at the What's end the reveal box? and he's in the chopper and he goes somebody call somebody <laughs> yeah johnny improvised, improvised
1: it's yeah. fantastic wow that's hilarious well I, I do kind of want to talk, talk about that that time jump uh, because 99 mm-hmm. out of 100 directors when they use a, a title card for a film it's just to sort of remind people, hey, this is the movie that you're watching. Here's, here's where it begins. Mm. But I feel like your title card is used to really like it's such a, a gut punch and it's such an emotional reaction. And I was wondering if you could talk about I feel like we don't see enough title cards used to yield a reaction for like you hold on to it for a little bit. And then when it hits, it, wow. it, it, it elicits a reaction and just the art of using a title card to get a reaction out of us. That's a great this is a great podcast.
4: Yeah, can you isolate yeah, isolate isol- <laughs> that audio? Can you isolate that audio, please? No, your questions <laughs> are so great, you guys. Um, yes, I agree. First of all, I hate opening credits. It's a pet peeve of mine. I I always have had a reaction to showing all the names of who's in the movie. Um, it's like always felt like you know, I'm a big theater geek, and it's like it always felt like the like the, the, everyone taking a bow before the play started. So I I do what's called for those not in the business. It's called main on ends, which basically means. Um if you do no one up front you can you can then um with the guilds and the unions and everything get away with doing everyone at the end. So all my films are, are main on ends. I don't want to see people's names at the beginning of the movie. Mm. I want to show you what we made and then and then show you all the brilliant people who did it. So part of that is the only thing you have to show uh, uh, um is is well, I don't know if you even have to show it but I I the only thing you get to show is the title. And I really wanted to delineate that that beat was a prologue. Mm. Um, And I think you're right. It it is a bit of a gut punch because you're like, whoa, hopefully they have the audience has the reaction you had, which was like, that was all prologue. Now, now the movie begins Mm -hmm. like this was like we're watching it and hopefully you're enjoying it and you're getting invested in these characters. And then then there's a something insane happens. And then you're like, whoa. That was prologue. Now we're going to begin the movie. And I I just thought that that was a really powerful way to do that.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm very fascinated by narrative decisions in terms of shot choices. Uh, like shots can look cool or they can display a certain visual aspect, but the narrative reasons behind them make them so much more immersive and so much more effective. There's a scene with uh, Daniel and Ryan. Um, I guess I'll set this up a bit because obviously the characters, you know, that's his, you know, the, the, the idea of him losing his own daughter and then taking care of his granddaughter and all these things. But this the, the relationship that they have in the film is interesting because there's such a separation of what as a 16 year old, what she's going through and him not knowing how to parent her as a grandfather. But there's this amazing moment where she comes downstairs and he's with the train set and you have this brilliant shot back and forth where the bars of the, uh, of the railing are in between them. And it felt like prison bars Uh, almost in a way. Exactly. And I wanted to ask about the narrative decision behind that shot. It really felt effective. It felt like they were such separated individuals trying yeah. to get to each other, but they couldn't. And the, there's a warmth to that scene that does end that scene where you think maybe they will start to become better and closer. But I just thought it was a shot choice that really affected me. And I'm just curious what your narrative decisions Thank are.
4: You. Thank you so much. Um, actually, I'll give you one one step cooler with that shot. The the, the, the wider size um, actually has a legit picture of morgan at 18 in 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 his uh military uniform for vietnam and um and so that picture on the wall is genuinely his picture and oh, then wow. it's and then it's, so it's him at 18 and then her at 16 and then him at 84 in that shot. oh my
2: god wow
4: <laughs> that's wow. great it's really cool. In terms of the bars, I didn't I wish I could say I wrote that in. Well, I always I always wrote that that she has a spot on the stairs. In fact, in the script I had written that there was a, a a carpeted runner and and where where she always sits on the steps, you could see that the carpet was worn down. Um that didn't make it to production, but when we found that location, um it it had those bars up there and I thought you know, initially you thought, "Oh, maybe that's going to be weird. Maybe I, I need to Maybe I need to make her spot that she always sits not on the steps, and then I thought, no, no, it's brilliant. It's kind of like they're both one of they're both in their in their individual prisons, which they are. Why don't I shoot this through the bars? So it was really a happy accident we found on on the location. But you know, now now if I now if I now that I've seen it, I if I you know if we had the there's not a single set in the movie. They're all locations. So mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, obviously we decorate them, but uh, we didn't have a, a, any money to make to build sets. So. But now that I watch it, I go, oh gosh, if I was to build that set, I would I would want to use those bars because they they were such a happy accident.
2: That's wow. amazing.
0: Wow. Uh Zach, there are obviously some extremely difficult emotional scenes in this movie. Um, and your cast is so incredibly talented. Um, specifically Florence, she's outstanding. And yeah. but I would assume that to ask them to go through those moments multiple times is borderline cruel yeah. um, and so i'm curious as a director if you're someone who who does ask for a number of takes do you rely heavily on rehearsals um what's it like on the day to shoot some of the more complicated scenes like that
4: that's a great question there's not really rehearsals because we just didn't have time i mean um there was like we, we did one day of of uh, with mauro fiori my brilliant dp doing just some camera tests on florence he he sort of tried out a couple different lighting styles just her and her face. And, and we would talk about where we would, you would kind of, you know, it was just sort of a bit of a test day. We tried out a couple lenses. We tried out um, different lighting styles that he was thinking about and where they might be good in the movie. Um, there's a bunch of macro stuff in the movie. We played with some macro lenses. Um, but in terms of like acting rehearsal, there was none. One, you know, one day, because of the haircut, uh, which was just a production clusterfuck. We had to, um, we had, w- which meant that it, it forced us to do the very first day, Chanaza and Florence rolling around in bed together in, in, in the beginning. Oh, wow. So I did one day of that. I got like a queen bed and just you know I wanted them to get to know each other. So we we did sort of rehearse that a little bit so that we weren't just like day one, you know, with name tags on. Uh, Hello, my <laughs> name is Zach. Saying hey, roll them, roll, roll around in bed together. Yeah, um, yeah. But that was really it. Um, and in terms of your question about takes, I I'm certainly don't have the time uh, to 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 do a ton. I mean, you really have to go quickly. But in, with the extreme emotional stuff, you go until you got it, and then when you right. got it, you just move on because you know there's as you guys know from seeing it, there's some performances in this movie that are mm-hmm. just incredible. And when when those are happening and you got it. You're just like, please tell me that was all in focus. Okay, right. let's move on. <laughs> right, right. right <laughs> because right. Yeah. uh, you know, there are directors out there who have infinite money and time who who would go, Great, let's go fifty more times. Um Fincher. Yeah, like our, <laughs> like, our like our like our hero Fincher. But <laughs> I just don't have, I just don't have the I didn't have the budget or, or, or uh for that. um uh, so you know.
0: Wow. Mm. That, that's even more impressive then. Yeah.
1: Uh Zach. Like everyone here, uh, I've, I've lived in the awe of the legend that is Morgan Freeman my entire life. And I know that you've, you've worked with him, you've directed him before. But when you're his director, you can't be a fanboy on set. Like you've got to yeah. you've got to direct the man. And I don't want to say true. you've got to be his boss, but like you've got to tell him. So how do you tell Morgan Freeman he's doing something wrong? What is the scariest? What's the scariest? What, OK, let me rephrase. What's I'm, the most scared you've been to give him notes?
4: Well, the funny thing about Morgan is you do take one and you're like, that was awesome, guys. We're going to go again. And you hear, wah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, here's the thing. The truth is... I've been, I've worked with De Niro as an actor. I've worked with Morgan, Michael Caine, Alan Arkin. I just directed Harrison Ford and shrinking. I've, I've been so lucky to work with some of these amazing legends. They want to be directed. They don't, they're, they they do not want some, someone who's intimidated. Who's, who's, who's going to be wide eyed and afraid of them. That's their nightmare. They want mm. someone with a point of view. They mm. certainly don't want to be told how to act. I would never do that. Um, but it's a conversation. They want, it, they want to be stimulated by a conversation. And, and, and a great actor is mostly focused on the scene in the moment present. They're not looking at, you know, we shoot the whole thing out of order, right? So my job is to look at the macro experience that we're shooting completely out of order and engage in a conversation if it's not fully right. So it's more like, you know, we're just coming from that scene what do you think? Should we do one that's a little more angry because of what's just happened? And, I, and that's how I, you collaborate as an artist. I'm not, I can't, I, I don't know. You're not telling Morgan Freeman and Florence Pugh how to act. They're, they're, they're mm. fucking geniuses. Mm. But what yeah. you're doing is going, hey, guys, I'm the conductor of the orchestra. Should we do one that's a little more X, Y, Z because of what's, what we're going to next? You know, you're, you're engaging in a conversation,
0: it mm-hmm. makes
2: sense. You know, Zach, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford um, and Roger Deakins. Jake and I were in Toronto uh, a couple year a few years ago, and we're at the hotel and there's a bunch of actors walking by. And then I see Deakins' hair and I freak out. And I, I, I listen run to the podcast. And... I love the podcast.
4: I listen to it. Mean, yeah, yeah, he's amazing. It's great. It's and great.
2: So, so we run over to him, we talk briefly, and I'm like, hey, real quick, I just wanted to always ask you this, uh, on, the, on the sides of the frames in, in Jesse James, you blur out the sides, and I was like, what is that? He goes, I, I, there's these lenses I created called Deaconizers, and I'm like, oh my god, that sounds insane. I'll so imagine. then I'm watching, I'm watching your film... And we're in some sequences where Florence is dealing with the drug use and things like that, and you do blur out aspects yeah. of the frame. Um, and I was just curious: were you using something similar? How yeah, do you achieve in, that effect?
4: In, that's in camera. That, that's a um, Marl found those. We called them like the the the, the opiate lenses, or the uh, because um, they they kind of appear in scenes when Florence is high. Um, and, and that's a marrow idea. I, I don't know what the exact lens is. It's not, a, um, I don't think it's a Panavision, you know, most of our lenses were Panavision anamorphics. I'm not exactly sure if that particular lens was a Panavision lens or not, but it, 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 it's all in camera. It, it's the only, the only spot that's in perfect focus is in the center. Um, mm. so it's really cool and trippy. And, uh, um, and I just love that it was an in-camera lens thing, not a post thing
2: yeah and it created it created an effect in the audience and then just a quick follow up on that there's a shot that I want was curious how you did it because lighting is such a fascinating thing to me and 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 the adjustments that have to be made in a shot it's a simple it's a simple scene in terms of like what I'm about to ask, but I'm curious how how hard it was to achieve. We have this moment where Florence is sitting in a dark living room. And Molly Shannon's character gets home and she walks in and opens up the window. Right. And yeah. normally when you're going from dark to light like that, I would imagine that that could be a tough shot to pull off to keep the shot the way you want it to keep it. And yeah. I was just curious, is that a complicated shot or am I overthinking it in terms of like the way the lighting affects the image and kind of what we're seeing in that moment?
4: Um No, I think. I think if you if you committed to it would probably be trickier if you needed the outside to expose. I think that Marrow just committed to blowing the fuck out of that window, so um, it looked great. It's hiding behind that curtain, you know, the, the, that extreme uh, whatever fixture he has out there, and then we had some we had some atmosphere in the air, which is always great when you're going to blow out a window like that. And sometimes you'll, you'll you'll get great shafts. We did that a lot in going in style, because we, we had budget in that bank. We just these huge like twenty ks coming through the window with a little bit of atmosphere, and you get those awesome shafts of light. Um, so we did a little bit of atmosphere in the air, um, and then I think when uh, there was obviously there's probably some light fixture on on Florence, and there's the there's the um, uh, TV lighting gag effect on her. But I hmm. think when he when she, when Molly opens the curtains, he just we just let it just go totally blown out and 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 bright.
2: Reminded me of, like Kaminsky, like Spielberg does that a lot, in like *Bridge of Spies* for example, and yeah. just blow the light out. It's so cool. And also,
4: um, you know, uh, do you remember that movie *Clockers*? Oh, dude, yeah. I love sure. *Clockers*, Spike man. Lee? Hell yeah. yeah. Spike Lee went through a phase. He was using it was DP. I forgot who it was, but he was using a a filter that was really popular back in the day called Black Promist. And it would, it, uh. it, he used it like crazy in *Clockers*, so it, it has this effect. We didn't use it on, on this film, but it has this really cool effect of just blowing out highlights in, in a, you yeah. know, and, and Spike Lee went through a phase where he was doing that like crazy. <laughs> it looks <laughs> awesome. The
1: perfect real blend guest,
2: by the way, yeah, I hope, you know, like,
1: like you're like, you fit in. Like you could be like the fourth guys. Can this I is... just join the show? I want to
4: join.
2: We'd these love years. to have you. Yeah. Just, yeah, free this next is, week. This is literally <laughs> our show. Every time we do, we record.
4: Yeah. Um, well, it's great exactly. for me because I love, I love, I love the tech stuff and I love the, the, um, the, the storytelling stuff so i'm, I'm yeah. I, I, I can talk like about the stuff all all day
0: so you and i are, are basically the same age um we grew up at a time you're 21 yes <laughs> can you imagine i'm gonna have my first legal drink tonight <laughs> malibu and orange i've had it planned for years um greece greece was everything and yeah. you are now in a commercial where you get to pay homage to Greece with yeah. John Travolta.
4: Well, and not only that, I mean, I'm a musical theater kid. I love, I went to a musical theater camp. I mean, I love theater. I love musicals. I love singing. I can't dance, but I love watching people dance. Um, so
0: that was, that experience pretty- alone has to be, it had really, to be.
4: Yeah, it was really surreal and we never thought it would happen. You know, we were pitched it without Travolta and, um, uh, you know, cause Donald and I do a, a, a campaign for T-Mobile and, mm. and, um, and then, and then it kind of went away. And then it came back to us like Travolta's in. We were like, what? <laughs> um, so that was really cool. Vincent Vega? We'd, it was amazing. <laughs> Donald and before we, you know, we shot two days. And right before, like, in the right before day one, Donald, I took Donald aside. I'm like, dude, you got to be cool. Like, don't go, like, asking the guy all these questions. Like, be chill. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Ten seconds in, he's got Travolta in the corner. And he's asking him questions about face-off. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, you are so not cool. We just talked about this. No, that's all. But of us, then, then it was cool later. I, then, then when we got to know him and he was so he was so cool and chill, I started asking him Pulp Fiction questions and, and he was telling me, you guys will love this. He's like. I was like, can you just tell me something about the, the dance sequence in, in, in Pulp Fiction? He's like, he's like, well, you know, I used he said I won uh, twist competitions as a kid. And uh, and Tarantino knew that, so originally it was just a twist. And I was like, Quentin, I'm doing my bad John Travolta office voice. But he's, like, <laughs> but he's like, he's like, Quentin, I, you know, there were a lot of other, uh, you know, dances from that time. Like, and he starts demonstrating them for, for Tarantino. And he's like, if you want, I can I can teach these all to Uma, and then she can just follow copy me and do whatever I do on the day. And he's like, Tarantino loved it, so that's what happened. So 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 Travolta basically. Uh, turn that from just the twist into that amazing sequence
1: you know in in addition to to loving your work as a director in film i I really love all the work that you've done in television obviously you've done ted lasso and you got shrinking and i I believe you did seven episodes of scrubs if i'm not wrong but i was just wondering there are a lot of episodes you didn't direct is there one episode in particular that you most wish like god like i would have liked to have seen not saying you would have done it better but you just would have liked to have seen maybe what you would have done with that material that's a really awesome question. Um, I mean, well that we got to a certain
4: point where Bill was giving me all the big ones, you know, you know, he, he would, he would splurge like once or twice a year, um, and make a big sort of mega episode. And, um, and so he would really give me kind of the juiciest ones. I didn't do the musical, but I, I, I will McKenzie did that a legendary TV director. I wouldn't, I, that I wouldn't have had to do that as well as Will did. Um, I, I don't know. I can't I can't think of one because um, um, I because I kind of feel like I got the best ones for the most part.
0: Mm. Zach, were you thr- were you thrilled seeing Brendan win? Oh, Hunter?
4: man, oh, I love that guy. And there's just, you know, fans should know there's just not a sweeter person in the world. He really is that humble menschy guy. And, you know, he did that that little arc for us on Scrubs. And it's like the most beloved thing in, in Scrubs history. People. Oh, my God. People love yeah. that's like every like universally everyone's favorite episode is is that uh, funeral episode. Right.
2: You know, I think filmmaking and acting and all type of storytelling has the ability to be extremely cathartic, um, especially and in, in therapeutic in a, in a very interesting way from an audience perspective. We gain our own catharsis and our own therapeutic aspects from storytelling. But as a filmmaker to tell a story and then, you know, now you're promoting it. But at the end of the production, I'm curious, what's the biggest catharsis you found in yourself through this movie? I'm wondering, like, what is the biggest change you maybe made in your life because of this film? Like, did it help you work through certain things? Because I feel like making a movie, especially in this particular context with these thematics, could be some of the best therapy anybody could go through just because I feel like you're letting it all out. And I'm just curious what, how you gained from it. Well, that's,
4: that's well said. I, I think that I'm finding as I tour the country and share the film that this is where I I find the most, um, catharsis and, um, and, and, and joy actually, because I, this film, I, I is so personal and so raw and, you know, you hope that people have the reaction to it like you guys have had to it. You know, you, I, I do these Q&As as we go around city to city and, and watching the last half hour of the movie with people and then having these wonderful conversations about people's interpretations and what people took from it. And, of course, their own experiences of, of grief and loss. Um, that's where it finally feels, you know, you feel community. You feel, uh, you know, I think when, when, you can, when you're at these moments in your life, you can feel so lonesome. And so to finally feel, um, to share it with people and have them have the reaction like you guys have had is is where you feel great. You feel like, oh, it reminds you that you're not alone in, in, in these feelings.
0: Uh, Zach, we're so happy to have you on as a guest. Uh, we're told we're out of time, but... Um, I could talk really- to you guys
1: all day. This was awesome. Well, well you <laughs> have me in a little bit, so I'm glad that this didn't go horribly wrong because that would have made an awkward
2: TV <laughs> <laughs> And by the way, Florence Florence's AA speech... That might be one of the most incredible performances I've seen from an actor in a long time. I can't even imagine what that was like for you behind the camera to watch that, because that was I mean, I literally was tearing up. That was a I, brilliant I, sequence. I,
4: I, I listen. I know I'm biased, but I, I, I'm in awe of her. And I, I think that 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 monologue is one of the best things I've ever seen ever. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It was incredible. It really well, is I mean, amazing. The three of us are really just humbled that we get an opportunity to shine a brighter spotlight on this movie. because Thank you we for want doing as that. We really appreciate to see it. it as Thank possible. you, and, and
4: please, please go to see it in the theaters, folks. It's uh, you know people people always say they don't make movies like this anymore, and, and I've I've tried to make one for you. So please go to the theater and check it out. This episode of Real Blend
3: is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show.
0: We want to thank Zach Braff for coming on the show. I I think I told you guys Garden State was my number one uh, the year that it came out, and so to get a chance to speak to him, and have him on our show, I think, was really, really great. And um i I think he genuinely enjoyed being on the show. I think he well, really I mean, had a good time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got to to go to him later on the day.
1: Yeah. So when we interviewed him, he was actually in Chicago on a PA tour for for a good person. And the way the situation worked was I needed to be uh in my studio to do the Zoom. And then once we wrapped, I went across town to the hotel he was at and actually interviewed him in person for my morning show here in Chicago. And whenever I walked in, the first thing he said to me was, "Just so you know, no interview we're about to do is going to top what we just did for the podcast." And I was like, "Oh, (laughs) I'm I'm fully aware." And then the in in the uh, even the crew around we were like they were all like oh we were all like captivated by look I'm not trying to like pat us on the back but he went on for a bit about like how great that conversation was. And in fact, the thing he said that I thought was great because he listens to other podcasts. He said the closest, he goes, I, I've been looking for a podcast like you guys and the closest that I have found is Roger Deacon's podcast.
0: Oh, so geez. make of that what you will. My gosh. Deacon mm. shoots digitally though we all know that that's a problem <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's gonna be an issue <laughs> mm. uh, all right we are gonna get right to this weekend movies <laughs> because there's three big titles that we want to get to um, and the first one I'm gonna throw to my great friend Kevin McCarthy because it's a film called Tetris mm. uh, that's available on Apple TV plus it stars Taryn Edgerton uh, and if you think that it's a tricky name for something it's not <laughs> it's about the game Tetris yeah. but Kev's been raving about this since he saw it so tell us why it's important. Important, Kev.
2: Well, I was blown away by it because I didn't expect it to I didn't know the story. I mean, as some so I, I don't want to I don't know who to credit this to, but someone put it the best way possible. They were like, if Bridge of Spies and Argo and Social Network had a baby, that's what this movie would be. And I'm like, that is the best description I could think of for this film. I had no clue that this all went down before the game, you know, in terms of like the game being released and Taryn Edgerton's character, he plays a, a businessman named Hank Rogers and he, and, and he teams up with the creator of the game. And essentially they're in the USSR fighting for the rights of this game. And it's honestly feels like if you could imagine the end of Argo when they're trying to get out of the country, mm. like, again, I, I don't want to, you know, put two and two in the same aspect because you know they're but bo- but they're both relatively serious Argo was very very serious so was Tetris in terms of like what they were dealing with behind the scenes um but there was some really insane things happening with the rights to this game that I had absolutely no idea and one of the cool things about the film is just seeing how the gaming Aspect worked like they had to get rights for the arcade. They had to get rights for the home systems. They had to get rights for, you know, Game Boy. And like there's like a scene where Hank Rogers sees a Game Boy for the first time. And it's like so cool to like see kind of how all that goes down. But when I knew they were making a movie about Tetris, I'm like, like, I love that game because it was I found it cathartic and therapeutic because it would just be nice to watch the blocks disappear and things like that. But I did not know anything about what went down in terms of getting that game out? Um, it's beautifully shot. Like they use a lot of really cool animations in the film, where like they'll go to a establishing shot of a city or whatever, and it'll be in block formation, then it'll disappear, and then you enter the wherever you are. Kind of um, cool. It's really clever, and and Taron is unbelievable. It's one of my favorite performances he's probably done since Kingsman. Um, and, you know, listen, I loved him in, in Rocket Man, but this was really interesting like sometimes a mustache while like you know it sounds like a small thing it really does give him a different characteristic the way he (laughs) talks the way he moves and performs um and i was just yeah it was was just a kind of a shock to me um again the three movies that i mentioned it's it, it it has the same beats in my opinion in terms of the way the scores used like social network, it feels like it's moving along like social network um, in terms of thematics and like the rights to it and kind of who's coming up with it and where who has rights to what. And the Argo aspect comes from the intensity of getting out uh, and actually getting home safe because there's actually a lot of uh, intensity involved now. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure they had to take artistic liberties. I'm sure certain things didn't happen exactly how it happened in the film. It's the same, you know, um, same thing with, you know, with Michael Jordan, the air film. I mean, there's so many different they're going to they're going to take artistic liberties um, and but but keep the story core. Um, So for me, I I was I loved it. It's going to be on Apple TV Plus this weekend. Highly recommend it. Um, It was just now again, what what's weird is. You know, when you sometimes you sit down and watch a movie, you don't know what to expect. Sometimes it just wows you and you and, and that kind of gives you an elevated sense of what you just watched. Now that I'm kind of pumping it up to you guys, I'm curious if it still lands that way, because I I didn't know going in what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that description that I heard later on, I was like, oh, wow, that's that to me is put that on the poster. That's a selling point to the movie. I would if someone told me there was those three films combined, I would watch it in two seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I loved it. I was highly impressed with it it scored incredibly and like it was just it was just a wild story that i never knew and like it's a game that i've known all my life i had a game boy i had uh, you know that was a game that i used to just rock out on my game boy and 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 to know what went into it and people's lives that were at stake and people's careers and 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 families like it's just insane so Mm -hmm. I, i was very impressed with it
0: Well, it's called Tetris. It's available on Apple TV again. So if you have a subscription to that, be sure to go check it out. Um, I want to start off with a good person, which is Zach Braff's film, as we've been talking about him before. And uh, I was floored. Uh, by this movie, um, Flo- and it's Flo- Florence. Dor- Florence. 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 Uh, you, you stretched. You stretched hard on that one. Uh, Florence
2: Pugh's in the movie for people who don't I, know.
0: I want to. I want it, to. It's hard to like. Can we talk about the the catalyst of the story? Is that it's in, is the, that trailer. Known? Is in the trailer? Known? Is it okay? Yeah. All right. So essentially, it follows Florence Pugh's character after she's been involved in a car accident. Uh, she's the driver. She has uh, two of her close friends. In the car with her, she survives, but they die Um, and they have a child that uh, they leave behind because the kid was at school when the accident happens. And what I thought was really, really smart, and Braff talked about this in the interview, was that instead of dealing with the immediate aftermath and and how would you come back from something like that physically, uh, the film jumps forward a year and starts to figure out where all these characters are uh, still dealing with the aftermath of it. Um, and it has some incredible performances from people who you would expect. I, Florence Pugh is is easily one of the best actresses working today. Um, and as much Wait as till I know... you kno- see
2: her in Oppenheimer as Jean Tatlock.
0: Take a drink. As much as I know she's great, um, I, I'm still floored, you know, when I see her in, in something like this because she's incredible. Her character is dealing with... Uh, a drug addiction and she there's an element of being stuck in her hometown and how the accident kind of prevented her from moving on from it um and braff's screenwriting um is as honest and authentic um as i think it could be in these really like i think he admits he was going through some tough emotional times While he was working on the script and all of that comes through in the dialogue and the situations that these characters go through and then someone like Morgan Freeman uh, comes in or even Molly Shannon, who's terrific and you just if you give performers uh, of their caliber decent material, they can make it phenomenal. So when you give them really great dramatic material, uh, they can be off the charts and I think everybody in this is kind of off the charts and so. I didn't expect going into it to like this as much as I did. I was really, really, really impressed by it. Um, And I was I like I said, Zach Braff directed a couple of things after Garden State. After Garden State, I was dying to see what he did next. And I forget the names of the movies that he did. But I just remember them not really
1: wish I was here. Yeah, Yeah. that was one. That was when he did that
0: with Josh Gad. Is that the one he did with Josh Gad? Going in style. Right. And they were OK. But he's also
1: done a lot of great television work. Like he directs Ted Lasso. He did Shrinking.
0: Absolutely, yes, and some key episodes of, of yeah. Scrubs, which is wait, uh, was
2: well, going in style was the one with Michael Caine, right? Yep. Because yes. I'll never forget that. Because I, I, remember I was doing that junket and I was Wikipediaing Michael Caine to find out something, and I looked at his his birth name. Do you guys know Michael Caine's real name? No. Um, and this is not a joke. That sounds like a up to a joke, but it's not. His name is Maurice Joseph Micklewhite. That is his actual name. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I, I, I asked him, I have to go back and find the video. But he told me there's a whole story about how he came up with it. I think it had something to do with him being in a phone booth And the Kane mutiny was playing on a theater in front of him. I think he was on the phone with his agent or something. And he's like, yeah, call me Mike Michael Kane. I have to go back and watch it. I don't want to I hope that's might be accurate, but it is really funny. Anyways, that just reminded me of that. But go ahead.
0: There's a number of stars who don't go by. Like Emma Stone is actually named Emily. Is she? Yeah, her real name is Emily. But when she came to Hollywood, there was an Emily Stone. And so she had to change it. So she changed it to Emma.
2: Like, Whoopi Goldberg's not her name, right? And, and, and I don't think... Is Johnny Depp his real name? I don't know. These are good questions. Nicholas anyway, Cage. God. Nicholas it's Coppola. Jonathan Depp.
0: <laughs> Nicolas, you know,
2: Nicholas Cage's last name is... Isn't it based off of Luke Cage? Yes.
3: Yeah, it's, it it well, it's
0: Luke... Specifically.
2: Luke Cage.
3: Huh. And then he said
2: it was someone else, right? It was...
3: Cool. Uh, there's two things that it's referencing. It's Luke Cage, and then there was one There was one other reference. Anyway,
2: yeah. There's a lot of people who don't know he's a Copal. I was surprised by that. I uh, didn't
3: know that until
2: uh, fairly recently, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, so go ahead.
0: Anywho, Zach Braff's new movie <laughs> is really good, and it's called The Good Person, and you guys should definitely check it out. Do uh, you guys want to throw anything else into it, or should we? I mean, yeah, I, mean I, I guess all,
1: all I'll say is that there were it's so excellent. many moments in this movie yeah. that like could have fallen into the cliche sort of melodrama, like the actual plot itself isn't necessarily anything new and it's, you know, but, but there are so many moments where it felt like there was a, a fork in the road in terms of like, is this going to be a lifetime movie of the week Mm -hmm. or do you have something real to say something authentic to say with actors who can give real and authentic performances? And luckily he took the, the road less traveled because every moment where, I felt like, okay, here we go, like this is going to happen. And then it was sort of like a like, oh, that's interesting and fresh, Mm -hmm. refreshing and feels genuine. And this feels like real people behaving in a real way uh, and not like characters who were playing out a dramatic point for point plot in a movie. Um, So it really felt like uh, I was just impressed at, at. uh how i guess this is gonna sound weird but like how bad this movie could have been yeah but in retrospect like it's not just not bad it's actually really great and Mm -hmm. i honestly think it's one of morgan freeman's best performances in a very long time not saying i mean he doesn't give bad performances even a like halfway decent morgan freeman performance is better than anything most actors could do Mm -hmm. but this feels um like he was tapping into some things that we haven't really seen
2: him do uh in a while if ever I like the point you made in the interview about the jump in time for a year, um, oh, because yeah, yeah, yeah. that was a fascinating way. Because then you, because you're right, because it would have been a completely different film had we had gone through that year, and we can just fill in those gaps anyways as we watch the film moving forward. But the whole train and city aspect thing that Morgan's character creates is really interesting. The whole relationship with the, with his granddaughter is fascinating. We pointed out some of the interesting shots in the film with like the prison bars. And the, there's some really interesting just like thematic choices that are made from a shot perspective that really work. I thought Molly Shannon was great. Yep. Um, she plays tough her mother, too. really yeah. tough role. There's a scene with her in the bathroom with Florence, which is really, and then Florence gives this incredible speech at AA, um, that is really just an, a phenomenal sequence. I mean, really kind of just solidifies how amazing of an actor she is. It, it, it's a great character drama. It's just a really solid drama, and that works well. That's cathartic and therapeutic, as as Zach has talked about in his interviews. So, yeah, I was I was very impressed with it. It shot really well. But I, but I'm with Jake. Like, it's one of Morgan Freeman's best performances in a long time.
0: So John Francis Daly, uh and Jonathan Goldstein did. Uh, date night no, game, game night, night. Game, game night, night. I, I keep messing that up. i keep messing that up so good um, and of course john francis daly is from um, freaks and geeks and uh, they did the vacation film they're primarily known for comedies um but here they are taking a big swing with dungeons and dragons uh, honor among thieves and going for the sort of sci-fi fantasy element uh, big budget fantasy um with what i think it has going for it is the perfect cast. Uh, I think everyone in this ensemble is, is picked for exactly what they're supposed to do. Um, Chris Pine, who I have said repeatedly on this show and, and Dungeons and Dragons confirms it. He's the best Chris. He's, <laughs> he's my favorite Chris. He's the best Chris. Um, and he told me in our interview, he said, this is a movie that's made up of movie moments. He says, uh, you've seen them before. You already know basically what's going to happen. He goes, it's right down to the point where you know how the camera is going to move. You know how certain lines have to be delivered. But we he goes, some some actors chafe at that. I kind of relish it. He goes, because I want to I want to do it in the way that he goes. When I work on big tentpole, things like this, like I'm pretending to be Harrison Ford. And so he he's giving an Indiana Jones esque performance and Michelle Rodriguez is bringing everything that she does incredibly well to her part um, and Reggae jean Page Uh, who is still, you know, kind of untested, but is really good in the part that he has. Um, He's the one who's sort of saddled with all the jargon. He's the knight who's taking things extremely seriously as these guys are on their quest. Um, I want to let people know that there's nothing super meta about it. It's not like you don't step out of the game and it's other people playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's legitimately just, hey, here's a campaign and how it would kind of play out. Um, And... I was blown away by how much fun I had with this. I just thought it moved so well. I thought the set pieces were incredibly creative. I thought the visual effects looked fantastic. Um, and as I mentioned, I just think the ensemble was chosen perfectly. Like Hugh Grant being the the smarmy villain. I thought, I thought everybody was chosen to do exactly what they do really, really well. Um, and they fit perfectly into the template. Kev, I know that you were a huge fan of this. Uh, what yeah. worked the best for you?
2: I loved it. I was... So surprised. It's my, probably my biggest surprise this year so far. Mm. I just didn't expect anything from it because I'm not a Dungeons and Dragons fan. I don't play the game. And I just remember sitting down in the theater it was sold out. And the, there was a video that came on the screen from the cast all talking about the importance of the theatrical experience. Um, and, you know, what they said is are things that we say all the time. But then to sit in the theater with a crowd like that and watch the reactions to it. It was just so much fun. And like what's brilliant about the film and similar in tone to game night where it it is seriously grounded in actual thematics, but also funny, funny and over the top in a very fun way. But it doesn't like you said, like it's not meta. It's actually just really interesting character development and and good writing. And Chris Pine and Michelle Rodriguez are so great together. Sophia Ellis, if I have her name right. And also, um justice smith mm-hmm. uh they're great in the film and hugh grant as you mentioned um the the villain is terrifying i i was really engaged with just the group i want to watch these core four i guess scream six already ah, coined that term but well these done. core four characters i want to continue watching them in other versions of this um like, I genuinely cared for them. I genuinely cared for the thematics of failure and kind of what they were dealing with and Chris Pine's character and what he wanted to do to get back his family. Um, but also the action is spectacular. Um, did, I, oh, did I say Sophia Lillis? Lillis. 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 What, I couldn't what did tell I say? if you said
3: Lillis or Ellis. It sounded like you said Ellis, but oh, Lillis, I might have said yes. that. OK, yeah, cool. Yeah. My,
2: my fault. Lillis, my, yeah. my fault. Um uh, we're, we're all our brains are all a little fried no, uh, it's, um, but yeah no, the movie uh, I was just very happy with the action the comedy the shot choices there's some really cool wonders in the film really clever ways to play with the action in terms of going like in and out of frozen moments in time and like this like, it, it's just really interesting and fun and the world building is great uh, I was so happy with this experience it just made me happy it just made me f- I had so much fun with it I loved it
1: Cool. Jake, where are you at? Yeah, I'm right there with you guys. Uh, We were talking about just sort of the vibe that it gives us. And um, I've been telling people that it it sort of made me feel like I felt whenever I went and saw um, The Mummy for the first time, the Brendan Fraser Mummy, or even like, honestly, like Pirates of the Caribbean that, you know, we keep talking about how much... I, I remember seeing pirates for the first time and sort of just being surprised at just how fun it was because I didn't really know what to expect. Like it's a movie based on a Disney ride. So like, right. wait, what is this going to be? And that's kind of how I felt like this is based on a, on a role playing game. What what does that mean? Now that being said, I I've told that you guys that that a buddy of mine for his birthday recently wanted to have like, wanted us to do a dungeons and dragons campaign, which and now I honestly am a little bit more grateful at having that experience because there were moments that uh, I felt like I appreciated it maybe a little bit more. By no means do I have any kind of encyclopedic knowledge. But they did pack my theater full of local Chicago Dungeons & Dragons players. And that gave me such an appreciation for how many levels this movie has. Yeah. Because there were so many moments that people in the theater lit up or laughed at or pointed things out that I had no idea what it was. And the movie was still working for me. But I'm assuming that there is so much stuff in that movie that just went over my head. Same. So for yeah. them to kind of layer things for, you know, a guy who played d and one time a month ago or for someone who's never played d and or for people who grew up their entire lives playing d and that's, that's a lot of different plates to spin at one time. And to do that with the charm and the precision and the craft. And one thing I just want to end on saying that I had such a true, 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 genuine appreciation for was the amount of practical effects. Yep. Like there was there like look, yes, obviously there are moments where they have to use CGI and it's a big fat dragon, of course it's going to be CGI, but there are so many creatures that could have been CGI that instead they built or did makeup for or whatever the case and that like it honestly it even like threw me back to like a princess bride kind of vibe to it. So like the the fact that they didn't take those shortcuts all those little things added up to something really special. And I this is the most I would say I've been worried and just genuinely hope that this movie does well. I don't know how it's tracking only just because selfishly, I want to see another one. And if this is the only one that we see in the series, it would be such a waste.
0: I We were talking about this earlier with Shazam and how Shazam didn't do quite as well. And I honestly think it's because people are holding on to some money to be able to go see John Wick and this. I think the buzz around this is pretty high and the reviews out of South by were really positive and the marketing has been good on it. So I I think this is going to do well.
2: And can we just take a second here because we are a film podcast to celebrate how insane the box office was for John Wick? I mean, we're talking about a film that as the day as of the day of recording, this has made one hundred and forty six million dollars since its release. It came out, what, five, four or five days ago. Um, and for a film to be two hours and forty nine minutes plus trailers to crush and it, We said this in our review last week. It's one of the best action films I have ever seen. It is a brilliant, brilliant film from a a filmmaking standpoint. Fourth
0: movie in a popular franchise, though.
2: Yeah, but no, but 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 you have to. I will say this though. I think a lot of us after three. There was a little bit of a fatigue of like, oh, it's the same type of action stuff over and over sure. again. But four really hit a stride that the other that hadn't been hit, in my opinion, since one. And I love, I love all of them. I go four, one, two, three. But I, I genuinely just want to give Chad Stileski a shout out just because like it's, it's, it's. He's probably listening. The, the if you listen to our interview with him. Just just listen to how dedicated he is to the exact details of every single little thing in the film, from the costumes to the to the every single thing of training and every it it all pays off. Hard work pays off. You're Um, forgetting just amazing
0: important element, too, that was added is Donnie Yen. Just put on Yen and everything.
2: Donnie Yen and make him blind. (laughs) His performance in that movie is unfreaking believable. It's great. It's great. Oh um,
3: Gabriel. The recent projections I'm seeing for Dungeons three day are twenty-seven to thirty-six
2: million.
0: Ooh, I don't feel like that's as good. And compare
2: that again. I I, I want Dungeons to do well because it's awesome, but that's a PG thirteen film based on a very, very popular game. And then you look at John Wick, which I think did 73 million. Again, I know fourth film in. R rated
0: could hold on to number one. Yeah.
2: I think it will. I think it will. And yeah. you know, it feels like
0: Paramount is a little
1: uh, aware of people's, I, I think honestly, lack of interest because I've seen so many ads that sort of say things like come on you know you're curious and like and so look, look, at the, look at the rate look at the rotten tomato score and like come on like and so i'm like god would it hurt
3: nice? you to
2: see a movie come on <laughs> just throw a couple of shekels our way we do a movie show it's it's a great it's a great movie dungeons see, is awesome it's awesome
3: dead. these figures are from box office pro and i'll say that this is uh the 24th is when they updated this and it's a 14 percent increase from the week before so it's it's okay. increasing it's yeah, it's going upward. It's, it's, it's trending positive. So yeah. by the time we get to the weekend, is it even more? Is, this, is it set for like a... And it
0: has like two weeks to perform before Sonic hits. And I think Sonic is the next thing that might give it. Sonic? Wrong, so. Sonic? Mar- Mario. 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 Oh, Thank Mario. you. Was I legit love- j-
1: just paused and went, is there another Sonic 3? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, <laughs>
0: surprise. Mario. <surprise>. isn't <laughs> Mario is, is, um, is going to dominate
2: the, through April. The, is the Mario embargo up or no? I don't think so. Um, oh, no. okay. I don't think so i am very right excited to talk about that when we finally can du- 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 yeah, du- okay. du- 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 well in the meantime
0: we have to say goodbye to kevin because he's got a, an interview he has to go jump to do even though it's late on a tuesday just to show you guys how Ken, are you are. Uh,
1: are you interviewing someone in australia
2: i believe i am is he in is new it? zealand or australia he's in australia Okay. Uh, Kevin, is, it, is, it, is, his,
0: is his favorite Brandon Lee movie <laughs> The Crow? <laughs> oh,
2: <it's> just- <laughs> Russell the Crow?
0: <laughs> that's, that's
2: pretty good. I'm not gonna well, lie.
0: Say hello to Maximus for us. Maximus. Uh, and Kevin Maximus did record his blend game, so let's take a quick break here and uh, when we return... Uh Jake and myself will round out Hugh Grant blend uh, with a recorded video. Maybe I don't want to. Maybe I'm done with the show, too. You already talked to Russell Crowe. You have to come this back. You're contractually <laughs> obligated to return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show me that paperwork, sir. And we are back. OK, so the blend game uh, with relation to Hugh Grant showing up as the villain for Dungeons and Dragons is hashtag Hugh Grant blend. I personally believe that there's only one choice uh, that you can make for this. So I'll wait and see if uh, Jake Hamilton has selected it. Jake, where'd you go?
1: So so Hugh Grant is very much the epitome of a, a rule in this game that we often talk about, which is we're not picking our favorite movie that this particular person has been in, but the best that they've been and maybe a great example of what it is that they do best kind of thing. Um, because you guys know my obsession with, with Cloud Atlas. But that doesn't feel like the right answer to choose for Hugh Grant. Like that's not like I don't love Cloud Atlas because if Hugh Grant, I think he's great in it. But I don't love Cloud Atlas because if Hugh Grant. Same thing with honestly. Same thing with Love Actually. Like I love Love Actually, and he's such a great part of Love Actually. But like I feel weird choosing love actually when he's just a small part of the ensemble.
0: What you're saying is, if the aliens were landing and you had the to aliens show the landing, yes, yes. Hugh Grant. I, I know that that that
1: that frame of thought annoys yeah. the shit out of Gabe, but that frame of thought has helped me make so many decisions on this right. show. So if the aliens were show coming, them down, Cloud Atlas, I wouldn't show them. I'd show them Cloud Atlas if they want to see a great film. But if they want to see a Hugh Grant film, and what makes Hugh Grant great, I feel like you got to show them Notting Hill. Okay which to me is the perfect example of what he does best, which is that awkward sort of everyman um, that's a little bit charming, but a little bit befuddled, a little bit sort of out of his element. And I think the, the foil of both the, the charm and the talents of Julia Roberts, but the foil of his type of character opposite such a big glamorous movie star and the two of them sort of how they still fit together in such a way that we buy it. Like it's such a, a story that just doesn't seem like it could happen in the realm of possibility. Like, you know, it would you know the, the equivalent of like Zendaya walking in your bookstore and all of a sudden her falling for you. Like, <laughs> but you, you, but you watch this movie and you go, okay, like I, 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 I don't not buy it. Uh, I think he's charming. I think he's fantastic. And the the bonus being that there is such a beautiful, hilarious, incredible tip of the cap to anyone who knows how junkets
0: work. Yes. In the end. I was going to um, ask you, do you know the publication that he works for? Horse and Hound. Yes, it is. <laughs> Horse, Horse and Hound. And Hound. <laughs> nice job. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So
1: I, I think that is the epitome of quintessential Hugh Grantness. Yeah.
0: OK, interesting. Um, I more think that uh, in time, Hugh Grant evolved into less of the uh, the dorky bit that he was doing in the beginning um, and embraced more of the pompous asshole. And so I think that you can do the charming um, but also arrogant Hugh Grant, um, in which case Paddington, too, is the is the greatest thing that he's ever done. Um, Nick, Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal would agree. Yes, they would.
1: <laughs> such a
4: good as scene. Would, That's as such would a good scene.
0: Many, many other people because Paddington Two. What I love about that is that I told you guys that Paddington Two is terrific, and then for some reason it has permeated the zeitgeist, and and now people, everybody, kind of everywhere, recognizes how great it is. Um, it, it's not unlike what he's doing in Dungeons and Dragons, although in Dungeons and Dragons it is so exaggerated. He's playing the exaggerated version of Hugh Grant. Paddington, too, takes what he does. He's he's a, a, a old former uh, movie star who now is relegated to doing like uh, dog food commercials and opening up uh, county fairs type of thing. And it's such a blow to his ego. Um, and he allows his uh, persona to be ridiculed, you know, in all the best ways possible. Uh, He leans so hard into the joke uh, and he's so, so good at it that. And I think that's what's great about Hugh Grant. I think Hugh Grant totally understands what he does and he understands how people perceive him. And and that's why even because I can I'm looking ahead to the audience picks and I see that Josh Mann said the 15 seconds that he did in Glass Onion That's great. Like Hugh Grant knows exactly what he can do and and just does it, you know, usually to perfection. Uh, And I I think Paddington, too, when he's playing the the sinister bad guy, ups what Nicole Kidman did in the the first one and just embraces everything that I love about the smarmy, uh, distrustful, yet still kind of charming Hugh Grant. So uh,
1: Um, so this this uh, podcast is a place of truth. And this podcast sure. is, mm-hmm. is where we are friends and we can share things. Sometimes even things that we are ashamed of. I have never seen Paddington two.
0: I mean, that's sad. It's more sad than it is anything because you've seen Paddington you're though, cheating though, right? yourself. No, I've you no, never seen, seen Paddington
3: that. one. No, you've you seen no. one before too. No, you should you should watch them both. They're both great. One is also incredibly
0: charming. One is incredible. And two is off the charts good. Yeah, it's it's really one of things, look, them. I, I, I remember when it came out. Good. Like people, I, I remember like there were quotes
1: um, that basically were like, if you did your top 10 list this year and didn't see Paddington 2, then your top 10 list doesn't matter. Like I, I remember yeah. people, you know, <laughs> it's just one of those things that like, and, and I'm sure Cage you guys, could. yeah, Dick Cage, you could. I'm sure like you guys have movies like this in your life. where like, you know, it's good. And you know, yeah. if you sit down and watch it, you're going to like it. You just can't bring yourself to sit down and watch it. Like yeah, I mean, I'm like a if I have like a free night and I you know I'm behind on Succession or I'm behind on this or that. Like I, it's going to be really hard for me to go. It's a Paddington night. I know, I that. know, I know what you're saying. But that night will come. Then I will, the will come. That night will yourself
3: that it's worth watching a double feature of. I will mention before we throw to Kevin, two two honorable mentions that I have that I I don't know that I could pick Cloud one is a a movie I don't know how many times I've seen. It was like a family favorite rom-com, and that is Two Weeks Notice. Oh, uh, interesting. Sandra, oh, yeah. Sandra, Sandra Bullock was a staple, and Hugh Grant was a staple in our house, and they were both in that movie together, and they're both charming and wonderful. But also, I think one of the first movies I remember crying to, like, like I remember like a movie making me cry about God a boy. I yes, I oh, was hoping you were going to say
1: that. Great about answer. That's terrific. Great, great answer. Yes, really oh, good performance good. by him. Uh,
0: music and lyrics. Yes. Yeah. Also, really good. Yes. Yep. Also, really good. Hugh Grant. New crystal Treasure. Cloud Atlas. Also, his red carpet. His red carpet interview at the Oscars most recently. <laughs> <laughs> We're just
1: gonna go through. Got an pull up.
0: <laughs> All right. So, audience picks Josh Man. Uh, uh, well, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Pick, let Kevin's me throw it to Kevin. So Kevin did record um, a pick, and and so uh, here it is. Whoa.
2: All right, guys, my blend game pick this week for Hugh Grant has got to be Notting Hill. I mean, Notting Hill to me was one of my favorite romantic comedies of all time. It's a film that I remember seeing multiple times. I loved it in theaters, uh, but I also just love that it kind of deals with this concept and this fantasy aspect of what it would be like if you were to date somebody who is like that particularly famous. And again, I don't think fame has anything to do with in terms of attraction or making somebody more attractive, but there's something interesting about the concept of a major movie star dating a, a, a somebody who's not at all in, in the in the spotlight. And I just always found that juxtaposition really interesting because they're both human beings at the same time. But Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant are just so fantastic in that film. And Risa fons i have got to mention him because he's the roommate uh, of Hugh Grant's character, who's great in the movie as well, that, bath- that bathroom scene. Um, but Grant just plays that role Perfectly, it's like a, it's just a really interesting character because just a normal dude, you know, he, he works and you know lives and doesn't even really think about celebrity at all. And obviously, the person he meets and falls in love with happens to be one of the most famous people on the planet. And and then to have Julia Roberts playing that character, who's obviously one of the most famous people on the planet as well. Their chemistry was just incredible and Grant just played it masterfully. And I think, again, there's a scene in that film that speaks to me now. And when I was younger, I don't know if I necessarily got it as much was the, with the junket scenario where he shows up to one of her press junkets and pretends that he's a reporter for Horse and Hound, um, which years later I got to uh, when I slated an interview with Julia Roberts um, and Owen Wilson, I, I said Kevin McCarthy from Horse and Hound. So it's kind of like a full circle for that. But Grant just kind of plays that. Role perfectly and 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 when it comes to that movie, it's just it's the first movie I think about when I think of him um, I do want to point out more recently he was great in the gentleman um it, it's a you know really messed up character but a really interesting character that he played in Guy Ritchie's film um, but Notting Hill has got to be my pick and it's a film that's still to me stands up today in terms of just it it still plays in an entertaining way Um, I have to go back and make sure some of the comedy and or some of those bits might not have stood the test of time but I mean just in general the story um, and the concept of it has always been thrilling to me and I just love those two characters together and it's just a fun watch so my pick is Notting Hill.
0: thank you kevin as for audience picks i already mentioned that uh josh mann said glass onion the 15 seconds or less of perfection uh satith satith satish satish godi uh agreed with me and said paddington too. shrek's very own says uh D honor among thieves oh shrek got the early screening of yeah, D. Yeah. there you go well, they
1: did do um they did do like a Screening screen in, in yeah, and AMC theaters. Oh, what okay. they're doing? They're doing for air. If you're depending on when you're listening to this, right. Saturday, April first, they're doing one for air.
0: Nice. Carrie says, I've, "Uh,
1: what, what, Why? I want to, I want to pull an audible. And why? What? I want you guys to to guess what the IMDb IMDb four for Hugh Grant is. Oh, I was Art. just looking at it, so I, I know it. Okay, right, Sean, I'll play.
0: I'll play. Um, I'm gonna say Notting Hill. Okay, I'm gonna say Love Actually. Okay. I'm going to say music and lyrics. And I'm going to say um, probably like sense and sensibility. Uh, two
1: out of four. Not bad. Hey, not bad. Not bad. Okay. This four feels very much like someone on his team went to IMDb and was like, these are the four It's a that great should four. Be. It's a great four. Love Actually,
0: About a Boy, Four Weddings and a Funeral in Notting Hill. Four Weddings and a Funeral. That I knew it was like a stuffier English yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not that that's very stuffy. Um, all right, so Carrie said two weeks' notice. Michael Breen also said Notting Hill. Ariel Pace went with Sense and Sensibility and a lot of love crossed the board. For the gentleman uh, from Michael Nip, Ray Perkin, and many, many he others. He is was great that the gentleman. Was that the guy, Richie? Yes, that just came yeah, out? with
3: with uh, uh, McConaughey. McConaughey. Do, you remember, do you not remember um, Hugh Grant? It? He plays the... I,
0: did not see it. I never got a chance to <gasps> check no, it. No, no,
3: you did see it. You did see it. You and I watched it together.
0: In St. In St. Louis. <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, yes. yes, we did. That's right. It's great. No, you I don't, re- I don't you remember should re- you, it. In it.
3: you should rewatch it. He plays I, I the guy who the sort of the through line story is. He's with. Oh! Uh, yes and he's very he's just very done up and very it's like a he's just kind of chewing chewing that character up so
0: far that's right that's right i do i do i do remember seeing that okay worth a rewatch
3: uh, if you're forgetting it because it's it's still good
0: for next week you can reach out on twitter uh or let us know your pick via email real blend at similarblend.com we're going to be playing hashtag video game movie blend
1: Ooh, so
0: a does it game, have to be a, video a game movie, movie?
3: Uh, I was thinking just adapted and somehow connected to a video game, right? Does that make sense? Like Resident Evils are video game movies, even though it's not.
0: Sure. But I, I mean, I am I like Jumanji, not
3: so
1: much. It's
0: a board game. Right. But in the new ones, they're video games. Oh, yeah. But it's about video games. It's not a video game, it, yeah. not video game adaptation.
1: I guess. Yeah. Video game adaptation. I hear you saying. I care very little about that. I mean, like that. I mean, like,
3: yeah.
0: It should be an adaptation of that's a, kind of, of my that's where video. I was headed
3: was like, yeah, the adaptation because they're kind of yeah, yeah, n- yeah. notoriously bad, but there's been some great ones,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying, well, yeah, basically. Right. I mean, if we're going to include
1: board games, then then Clue would be such a major, contender. yeah, exactly, yeah, no, no, just video
0: games. This is not hashtag board game blend, this is hashtag video game, exactly, movie blend, so. Very rolls right <laughs> up the tongue. Getting a death stare from Jake for some reason. Uh, our next premium episode. No, because honestly,
1: up. I really wasn't meaning to I'm seriously like thinking about my pick, going like, can I pick that? I don't know if I'm allowed to pick that.
0: Our I'll, I'll uh, escape. What yeah. is our
3: next premium episode? We don't know what it's gonna be. Uh
1: no, we're,
3: we're still we're still finalizing our cast, so I don't have it uh nailed down until i know who all is going to be there oh fair
0: enough true because yep. our schedules are very very busy yeah it's uh, crazy week. check the description below for more information on how to sign up for the the real blend premium uh in the meantime follow us on social media at jake's takes at kevin mccarthy tv at sean underscore o'connell at gabe kovach and the show is at real blend we'll talk to you all next week with a brand new episode dropping on friday thank you so much for listening and Ubi. Barbie. I'm going to say killers of the
1: flower moon.
3: Ooh. Hey, somebody's got to. That's a mouthful.
1: What's
2: so special about hero bread, soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at
0: hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McKrispy sandwich.